Honest Conversations, Thoughtful Discussions with Fran Ricalde and Kev Moore. Kev and I are delighted that you've decided to join our discussion for this occasion. Initially, we wanted to record one episode to discuss COVID-19 and the Christian response, but we ended up having an animated discussion that lasted longer than we expected. Today, we are happy to bring you part one of this discussion, where we focused on lockdown and the unintended consequences. We talk at length about the reasons why, in our opinion, this was the wrong political decision to make. Without further ado, COVID-19 and the Christian response Part one. Hello and welcome to our first proper episode of Honest Conversations. Hello, Kev. How are you? Hi, Fran. Uh, I'm good, thank you. Yep. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you, Kev. Um, today we're discussing COVID and the Christian response. Can a Christian be a lockdown skeptic? I am very excited to hash these out with you. Who better to do this than a random Paraguayan and a French translator, huh? <laughs> uh, before we start, though, um, you have something you want to share with us. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. One of the things we said that we wanted to do was to um, yeah, just bring some uh, biblical perspective to things. So um, we're just going to have a little look at Hebrews 1. Um, and uh, I must confess, I'm I'm nicking this from uh, a blog post that I put up in the in the summer. I've been studying Hebrews uh, since uh, since then, so I right. just kind of took it from there. But it's been a real blessing to me, and it's uh, one of my favourite books. And chapter one just blows my mind every time I read it. And uh, the way I study the Bible is inductively, which basically means letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Um, and I like to use resources from a, um, a a Christian ministry called Precept Ministries, and you know they teach about the need to ask questions of the text. Five W's and an H. They say who, what, why, where, when, and how. Uh, so that's what I did for just Hebrews one. I'll just read verses one to to four. It says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they and uh, basically I just want to share what I'd learned um, from asking those questions, those those five W's and H that, that I previously mentioned, and, and basically that is that Jesus is anointed uh, by God above all others, that he sits at the right hand of God, and his enemies are his footstool, that he speaks to us, that he is the heir of all things, that he made the world, that he is the radiance of God's glory and exactly represents his nature that he upholds all things by the word of his power, that he made purification for sins, that he is better than the angels, that he is, has inherited an excellent name, 
that he was begotten by God, he is God the Son. He was brought into the world, he is worshipped by angels, his throne is forever and ever. He has a kingdom of righteousness and he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. And that's all just from just that one chapter um, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Bible. They're probably less than 300 words, I think. It's, uh, it's amazing. I was reading from the uh, New American Standard Version, if anyone's interested. Uh, that, that sounds really, uh, really fascinating and really, really good. Thanks, Kev. Um, that was excellent. And it is really comforting to know, isn't it, that we worship such a, a glorious and wonderful saviour. And um, with an awareness of that, Kev, release um, of who we are uh, accountable to, uh, let's crack on, shall we? So uh, before we start, I think, you know, I feel we need to clarify a few things. Um, you know, first of all, we, we aren't epidemiologists. Uh, we aren't virologists, doctors or scientists, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I I enjoy biology at school, but that's about it. Um, so we're approaching this with a degree of humility. You know, people should take our views as what they are. They're just opinions, and hopefully, expressed in a in a gracious manner. Even if we sound harsh, we mean well, and and we mean no disrespect to anyone, uh, particularly if you personally suffered from this awful virus. Um, also, I think we should say um, that we, we're not encouraging people to break the law or disobey their pastors or, or break up their congregations or, or anything like that. Um, essentially, what we, wanna, what we want to do is we want to shed a light on a topic that we feel needs some attention. Um, and what do you think, Kev? Is there anything you want to add? Um, no, I don't think I will add anything there. No? Fran, thank no. Right. Good. Okay, so the main question we're trying to answer is, can Christians be lockdown skeptics? You know, is there a moral reason uh, or, or a biblical reason that should compel Christians to unquestionably support this government policy. You know, and before we get to answer these questions, we, we're going to have to navigate through some thorny issues first. Um, so let's let's define some terms. So let's see, Kev, are you, are you a COVID um, denier or a COVID or a lockdown skeptic? Um, I'm a lockdown skeptic. Uh, which is uh, someone who, for various legitimate and loving reasons, doesn't believe that lockdowns are the way to combat the spread of a virus. Uh, interestingly, this was the mainstream, widely widely sort of held view of medical pr practitioners and government advisors before everything, I believe, was completely turned upside down in March 2020. And um, it's the view that is set forth in the Great Barrington de Declaration. I'm not. A COVID denier. I don't. I don't think um, you can. You can deny that COVID it, it exists, really. Yeah, although some do. Um, but um, I think it's also good to add here that uh, sadly, you know, our media kind of lump all these centers into this basket of deplorables. You know, uh, to steal this phrase from Hillary Clinton, 
So sorry, Hillary. Um, I know you don't like uh, people stealing your phrases, but um, these had the potential uh, to, to, you know, to discourage debate. Um, and um, you know, no one wants to be associated with skeptics. No one wants to be a deplorable. But, but are you a conspiracy theorist, Kev? Um, no, no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Although you know, in uh, sharing some of my views uh, with others, that has been implied, um, and I think it's um, and uh, unfortunate because it it kind of uh, effectively shuts down any form of debate once you label someone as a conspiracy theorist. It's mm. you're some kind of whack job or whatever. But yeah. Um, no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Basically, I don't have time uh, for for that sort of thing uh, or the inclination really to kind of go down that route. I think the only conspiracy theory that I would hold, if you like, for want of a better, better term, is that you know where I believe that the dece the devil is like the deceiver of the whole world. It says in mm. Revelation twelve nine that may be in terms of salvation, but I think it can be applied to how truth um, is perceived in general or is kind of suppressed in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we've seen over the past year or so as his fingerprints uh, all over it in, 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 some, in some respects he's the author of confusion and there's certainly been a lot of that um, having said that um, you know and I think that's affected the way you know I think that can affect the way some people think and, and view things and mm -hmm. it, you know a majority kind of view can conform even in some ways um, but having said that, I think the longer that this goes on, the more I find think myself thinking that something sinister is going on, that there may be some sort of other agenda. Um, but I doubt that anything was pre-planned. You know, speaking of the government in the UK, I think whatever side you fall on with respect to the debate, uh, they've proved to be uh, pretty inept and incompetent, um, which doesn't really point them to to them being able to plan a mass global takeover or reset, for example. I could, but I mean, I could be wrong. But it's not something that really concerns me too much. What concerns me is the devastating cost of, of lockdown and the kind of steady creep that we've seen into like an authoritarian kind of government ruling by diktat um, and ministerial decree and not necessarily parliamentary consent or the consent of the people. Or if we have seen uh, parliamentary consent, it's it's been kind of retrospective, if you like, in, in you know, some laws have been in and then they've been voted retrospectively. So, yeah. which concerns me. Yeah, it's more of a uh, mimicry of democracy rather than democracy. Okay, Kev, um, you, you, you said a lot there. Um, you know, I I agree with your point that there isn't a conspiracy. You know, um, I personally forgive people for thinking that, um, you know, there might be something more sinister you know, but I, I don't know, you know, I can't see anything beyond conjecture or speculation. You know, I haven't seen evidence of, uh, for example, Bill Gates uh, being an evil reptile eye Illuminati overlord who wants to exterminate half of the population and eat our babies. Um, you know, uh, but I, I, I do agree with you that the devil is a deceiver and in a global pandemic there is bound to be lies um i i i don't take the view though 
that those who agree with the policy of lockdown are simply deceived uh, uh, and or misinformed. I think many people, and especially at church, have seen the news, and um, and, and and you know they, they see they see the news and they're persuaded that going into lockdown to slow down the spread of the virus, you know, is a sensible decision. You know, perhaps a lot of people don't, you know, don't like the idea of lockdowns, but they see it as a as an inevitable course of action. What, what, what do you think? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'd agree, you know, um, that those, you know, who agree with the policy of lockdown aren't, you know, simply deceived um, overtly. But I, I do believe that there's been a lot of misinformation and, um, you know, I, and I think, you know, you mentioned the news there. Um, and I think that the news uh, and the mainstream media has, um, you know, really determined a lot of uh, how way and how people think. And the trouble is, is that it's been very one-sided. Um, you know, it's either go into lockdown or you don't go into lockdown early enough. It's, it's you know, never really um, been discussed right from the get-go, um, other than people like uh, um, Peter Hitchens right at the very start uh, questioning it. Um, you know, whether or not this was the right course of action. Indeed, I'm not sure many people know that uh, this lockdown policy has never been something that's been on the table for um, handling a pandemic. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. And we're going to get into that. But let, let me let me ask you, let me ask you another question. So, you know, do, do you think that being a, a lockdown skeptic, as you as you described yourself, is, you know, is is, is, is a morally superior position than being a, a lockdown hawk? Or, you know, what what, what do you think uh, you know that most people don't know? <laughs> well, um, I don't believe, I don't believe it's a morally superior position. Um, no, I, I believe it's um, a kind of a common sense proportionate and rational view of the situation um, that we find ourselves in, especially with a virus that even the government's own advisors, advisors say is mild, even for those in the highest risk groups. That's Chris Whitty who said that, you know, and it's something which the oldest woman in France can attest to this week, who at 117, she apparently recovered from COVID, having COVID-19. Um, of course, you know, there's a debate whether or not she had it, but, you know, given how unreliable PCR, PCR tests are, but for example, on the 3rd of March, Boris Johnson said, and let me be absolutely clear that for the overwhelming majority of people who contract the virus, this will be a mild disease from which they will speedily and fully recover, as we've already seen. I want to stress that for the vast majority of the people of this country, we should be going about our business as usual. That's the 3rd of March. And so by that date... That's before lockdown. Yeah, that's before lockdown. They'd already they'd already seen then that it's a mild disease, presumably based on the evidence that was available at the time, which admittedly was mitted, uh, um, limited. But then um, Chris Whitty said the following, I'm reading these quotes out for you, um, on, on the 11th of May, that most people, a significant proportion, will not get this virus at all. Of those who get symptoms, the great majority will have a mild or moderate disease. The great majority of people, even the very highest risk groups, 
will not die. So with the increasing evidence, you know, that's been gathered about the disease between the 3rd of March and the 11th of May, the same message is given, i.e. it's a mild disease that most people won't get, or if they do, they will recover, um, which is not something we hear a lot about, the, the, the rate of recovery. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let me see if I get what you're saying. So are you, are you saying the virus isn't as dangerous as it has been portrayed to be? Yeah, I, I, I am. That, that is, you know, what I'm saying. I'm not saying um, that it's not serious. I'm not saying that, you know, for for some, and, you know, we don't know that, how, how it's going to affect um, people, just like we don't know how many viruses are going to affect um, uh, different people in, in, in different ways. And, you know, um, uh, you know, in this debate about this, but in December 2019, there was really bad um virus that went round um i had it my family had it i had it and it was really really you know awful bad. um and um but you know we shook it off and we kind of you know we we carried on um i don't think i don't think it's the vicious threat uh, to quote the government um that we've been told to is you know, we've been told it is. I don't, I don't think we're, we're waging some kind of war and all the kind of wartime rhetoric um, that we've heard really, you know, bugs me, you know, sort of frontline this and that. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, in other words, what I'm saying is that I think that the threat to the vast majority of the population is, hasn't changed um, and remains low. Um, and yet many people believe the opposite because of the kind of the, 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 the relentless fear-mongering. You know, it's interesting that uh, in, in February 2020, uh, Boris Johnson was speaking in Greenwich ahead of Brexit trade talks, and he said this, he said, when there's a risk that new diseases such as coronavirus will trigger a panic and a desire for market segregation that go beyond what is medically rational to the point of doing real and unnecessary economic damage, then at that moment, humanity needs some government somewhere that is willing at least to make the case powerfully for freedom of exchange. So whilst presumably he's trying to hint that his government would be the government to make the case for freedom of exchange, the fact remains that the Prime Minister did panic in the face of coronavirus and he did make decisions that I, th I believe go beyond, beyond what is medically rational to the point that it has brought real and unnecessary economic damage on this country, not to mention the social damage yeah, it, it, that's it, been caused. Yeah, it seems like... It seems like just before they made the decision to lock down, they they were going another direction. They were going to make another direction. So, so let let, let me ask you then. So, the virus isn't as serious. So we should carry on business as normal. Handshakes, hooks, and holy kisses at church. Well, it's interesting. The virus is serious. I'm not saying. Um, that the virus isn't serious it's just not as serious as we're being told you know i think um you know a lot of, a lot of figures certainly that i've seen show that it's on a par with the bad um seasonal flu in terms of the infection fatality rate i'm not saying that it's exactly the same as a flu don't misunderstand me but um uh, but yeah i believe we ought to carry on business as normal it's interesting you know we I mentioned earlier about the you know the pandemic planning that there was but if you read the government's document which perhaps we can link to in the in the show notes um but 
you know, if you read that, one of the things is that one of the things it says, and I'm loosely paraphrasing, is that um, for the sake of the the morale of the country, we ought to carry on um, as 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 normally as possible. Um, but in, you know, unfortunately, in the, in the, the circumstances we find ourselves in, that the the opposite has happened, and the, and the morale of the country, I believe, is at an all time low. Um, yeah, and I think handshakes, hugs. Holy kisses at church we don't normally have anyway, but um, yeah, I, I, I think we have listeners. We don't need to be. I don't think we ought to be cavalier in this sort of thing, but um, yeah. I think we, we we can carry on as normal. I'm not suggesting the situation isn't serious or that loss of life isn't serious. It is, and it's tragic. Um, I just don't think it's as serious as we've been told, and we've been exposed to information like daily death rates that we were you know, previously oblivious to, um, and that this and social media and mainstream media has affected our judgment. You know, when you get kind of um, Hunger Games style uh, figures portrayed on the news every day, you know, 1500 people have died, et cetera, et cetera, and you've been unaware of those sort of numbers and they're not given, they're not provided really in their, in, in their context, um, mm. then you're going to mm. be scared. Um, but, but, and so let- let me let, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. So I was mentioning holy kisses because yeah, in England we don't do that in um, at church, um, thankfully. Um, but uh, yeah, we have listeners from uh, from other parts of the world where they do they do do that. Okay. Um, and but also let me stop you there. Let let me let me play um, angels advocate here or devils advocate, depending on where you stand. Um, you know, we we have we have eighty thousand excess death against a five-year average. There is no comparison uh, since you know the first world war, right? So you know, you know, you, you're saying this isn't serious, but we we never had the, this number before. No. I- I, I didn't say it isn't serious. I said it's not as serious as we've been told. So, um, but you want to carry on with you? You saying we should carry on as normal? Yeah, I think we. I think we can pretty much carry on as normal. Um, and isn't that a contradiction a little bit? Not really. I mean, there are you know we're faced with serious risks and, and threats all the time, and um, you know uh, I think I think one of the things that concerns me is the you know, these things you know hugs kisses whatever um it's kind of been framed as if it's illegal or you know you you know you shouldn't be you shouldn't do it so you've got a government that's effectively um telling you how you should interact legislate human, legislate yeah legislate relationships how you to interact as a human being i think there's a very big difference between uh, legislating that and advising uh, that sort of thing, you know. Um, you know, when I have to kind of, you know, in the summer or whatever, ask permission, uh, you know, if it's okay to hug my mum, or I say, oh, you know, I'm happy for a hug and that, I, th- I, th- I just think that's just troubling, very, very troubling. Yeah. I think, you know, coming back to the sort of 80,000 excess deaths, mm. you need to be careful. Um, when we're using figures like that, you know, 
that we we're using them in in context and in 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 proportion and i think proportion is a key word in in the situation that that we're in um, mm. i'm not sure if things have, have been handled proportionately i think mm. it's been sorely lacking you know are these excess deaths 80,000 excess deaths for example mm. due to covid are um you know when they're when the media portrays those views do they say you know that these are all cause deaths for example i don't know they probably are but you know but i think you know that at least one third certainly some of the reports that i've read at least one third of those deaths are not covid related and even covid deaths you know how they're reported is is dubious they have been re revised down mm -hmm. we need to factor in the false reporting of covid and those numbers you know could be lower we need to factor in people in hospitals being kicked out and sent to care homes where they would be at more risk. The bottom line is that um, you know lockdowns likely cause more of these deaths than the government and lockdowns sort of proponents would care to admit. But coming back to your question of the sort of moral high ground, I think you know a recent study by the government suggested that there would be hundred thousand non-COVID deaths because of lockdowns. You know, with forty-six thousand of those being avoidable. Um, you know, obviously that is caveat that all such estimates are open to question and you know I think in the same report the government claims that there would be 97,000 extra deaths without lockdown which I believe to be spurious um, but you know um, I think that given that the response to this so-called pandemic runs contrary to the government's previous advice and pandemic planning the reporting in, in this article i think is what we need to bear in mind in order to get a sense of perspective about you know this sort of self-inflicted crisis that we're living through i think you know if nearly half of the estimated death toll from the mm. crisis is apparently due to non-covid causes a so hundred thousand let's say that's 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 a life you know um you know, and given that it's clear from those countries that did not lock down but had similar results to ours, you know, the, the, the virus ran its course in a similar way. You know, I think it's clear that lockdowns have, have done nothing really to stop infections or if they have, um, they've just kind of put off the inevitable, you know, and I, and I just, I wonder when people will realise that the cure is far, far worse than the disease. I think lockdowns kill and destroy. Destroy yeah. lives and I the, think the curious case of of Sweden, isn't it? Sweden, Sweden didn't lock down as hard as we have, uh, and yet they had they have had very high numbers of deaths per million as as we we do, but they might in the long term uh, come not to regret, um, you know, having not locked down because they might have less uh, economic consequences due to that yeah. those decisions Definitely. and even yeah. like you know if you take a country like china which you know we can discuss maybe but i think um you know that they, they locked down obviously severely and we followed their example for reasons which i still can't fathom um uh, and yet they've lifted their restrictions and they're pretty much carrying on as normal i think something like their gdp has increased by eight percent and and you know, but so the other, I don't think there's any high ground to be taken. Certainly not for those from those wanting lockdowns. I think you know if you're advocating and supporting lockdowns, there are things that you need to consider. You know because mm. it's not just supporting people who aren't dying from COVID or protecting the NHS. I think you know we've got 
things where I believe, you know, the elderly have been treated inhumanely, mm. you know, just mm. being seen on their mm. own behind a screen or not being seen at all, being left alone. You know, we've got the sort of shaming of the, of the young people, you know, don't kill granny and, uh, oh, you know, because everyone's gone back to school, infections have gone up, so they're all carrying this disease. You know, we've got education being ruined and, and their life's pro prospects in, in doubt. We've got increase in suicide and mental health problems. We've got businesses being destroyed, families being destroyed. We've got the undermining and upsetting and for uh, the very fabric of our society. I don't think that lockdowns do protect the NHS. I think that they jeopardise and undermine the, the NHS, certainly in the medium and long term. And I think, <clears throat> you know, yeah, um, this is what we need to be mindful of. Uh, yeah, uh, portion yeah. and perspective. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's right. But strong, strong words, uh, Kev. So let let me stop you there, Sergeant. Um, you know, all policy decisions are trade-offs, and um, the, the, you know there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Uh, you know, say my uh, favorite economist Thomas Sowell. Um, you know, come on. You know, it seems like. You know, obviously you have a very uh, gracious tone to your to your arguments, but it, to some people it might seem like you're accusing them, you know, of of huge neglect. Um, and, you know, I think people see the consequences of lockdown as inevitable, you know? P people will say things like, uh, if we didn't lock down, then more people would have died, a lot more people would have died. Um, and I'm sure, you know, they don't want the collateral damage that, that comes, you know, as much as we, we don't. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to accept, you know, from your diatribe there, that what, what, is, what it seems is that we've lost track of the consequences of lockdown. And, you know, I can't remember any serious discussion in the media about the consequences of people's uh, you know, to people's lives, apart from, you know, the direct consequences of, of COVID, um, you know, th there was always a discussion about the economy and uh, what, but not actually what, what it actually implies, you know, the nitty gritty. And, um, but these decisions are, are very hard to make, you know, very hard to make, uh, whether we lock down or not. And usually immediate needs always take precedence. It's human nature, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I'm not necessarily sure if it was a diatribe, but um, I think, uh, you know, that, you know, the consequences of lockdown are inevitable. Yeah, if you lock down a country, if you tell people that they can't socially interact, if you, you know, effectively withhold some um, health services or people are too scared to go uh, to hospital or to take those care services, you know, GP practices are closed or whatever, um, then, yeah, those consequences are going to be inevitable. They're going to result in um, misdiagnosed um, or undiagnosed, rather, um, uh, cancers, for example. Um, you know, they're going to result in increased mental health issues. All, all of these things are going to result in businesses being lost um, and the effect on lives that that has. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, there's a scripture that says that, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be accused of taking this out of context, but 
just do a bear with me, that says that in Jesus we live and move and have our being. And and I think the same is true um, in a, in a, in 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 life of of the economy. I'm not saying you know, I'm not I don't, I'm not drawing a direct comparison between the economy and Jesus. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is that in in and through the economy and all that that entails, we live and move, and uh, we find our sense of purpose in that in that sense and in in, in what we do. It, it it gives us jobs. It gives us a sense of um, you know. Is the engine of life? Uh, yeah, basically that's what I'm trying to say. So. Um, and I think we need to be careful, you know, when you're making decisions and, I, you know, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of making knee-jerk reactions to mm. things. But I think when you're in government, you need to sit down and, and, and really consider the consequences of what you're about to do. And I'm not convinced that the government did that. I think, and there's a study that, you know, from a few months ago that, you know, basically said that governments around the world just mimicked each other. So we don't really... I'm not convinced we have leaders. I think we more have um, followers. They just mimic e each other. And, you know, from the early days, February, March, the sort of chief medical officers and that were advocating the herd immunity mm. um, route. Um, and, uh, you know, which is established medical practice, you know, we, which is what we do. You know, if you're poorly, you self-isolate. Um, we just do that sort of thing naturally. Um, and I think, you know, is it a question of trade-off or is it a question of the lesser of uh, two evils? And I believe that lock, not locking down is the lesser of, of, the, of the two evils. Um, I don't see, you know, you know, kind of like we've mentioned Sweden before, but there are some states in America, for example, that didn't lock down. You know, I think Sweden, some people in Sweden were asked, uh, epidemiologists or whatever, you know, oh, you know, you're doing this kind of great experiment by not locking down, and the reply was, "No, actually, we're looking at the world and seeing what you're doing with the experiment that you're making, because you know this hasn't been done before." Um, yeah, just, a, just a thing that you know, Florida, um, right now, um, Biden said that he is not considering uh, travel bans from Florida. Was interesting is uh, uh, death per millions in New York are you know, one of the, well, actually the second highest uh, after New New Jersey uh, in Florida is sort of bang in the middle, 26th or something. Um, and they, they didn't lock down. And uh, it, it, it's very interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the trouble with that is if you, if you compare, say, New York, New York State with Florida, people might argue, you know, the weather played a factor, but then you've got to realise that you know, if you can compare like for like, I suppose, Florida and California, California which yeah. had a really hard lockdown, um, and Florida has fared better. Florida with um, an aging population as well. So, yeah, that's um, you know, I'm not sure that my language, you know, you mentioned my language, um, uh, you know, strong words, I think. I'm not sure it is as strong as, you know, the sort of language that we've been subjected to, like don't kill granny or act like you've got the virus or look them in the eye and tell them that you've bent the rules or whatever. I, you know, there is evidence from Sage Minutes that this level of fear needed to be ramp, ramped up so that people would comply. Um, you know, and I think people have been, you know, terrorised with this kind of very yeah. strong language. You know, to the extent that, you know, I, I've been out for walks with the dogs, you know, in the early days and people would step back, you know, like two metres. You know, I had one example where a woman was walking down the street and she nearly walked into a wall. 
um, just because she she saw me coming and she was <laughs> scared, you know. So I don't. I'm not sure my language is that much stronger than that. I'm just stating what locked. Well, we don't know that, Kev. We don't know that she nearly walked into the wall because probably maybe she was just scared of you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably yeah that's probably true. Um, but I, you know, I'm just stating that you know lock, what lockdowns lead to, and that you know these things need to be considered. Um, you know, before you know supporting or or just going along with lockdowns. I think you know that suggesting or implying that if I see my mum, I could kill her. Mm. I, 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 yeah. I I'm not sure what sort of sane or compassionate and loving society advocates or allows that sort of thing. You know, what sort of society? you know, separates loved ones at funerals and interviews when they want to console one another, you know, which was which happened at a funeral last year. What sort of society gets the police to return an old woman suffering from dementia back to a care home when her daughter discharges her so that she can be with her loved ones while they're being seen behind a screen and not being seen at all, you know? What sort of society denies the right people the right to be with their dying loved ones, you know? Um, and I think when such injustices are occurring I think sometimes strong language is necessary and um, you know the consequences of lockdowns far outweigh um, the short term benefits of, of, of them or the consequences of um, you know uh, Covid so uh, you know just come back to your question just to, I suppose to sum up this <laughs> I don't presume to really know what most of the population doesn't know I just had a gut feeling right from the start of that things weren't right. I was seriously concerned when I learnt that the sick were being turfed out of hospitals and into care homes. It turns out, you know, to effectively sadly die. And I was concerned about the vulnerable and the lonely and was concerned about my loved ones as they were bombarded with this kind of un unprecedented fear kind of mongering from the government and the media that affected how they acted and interacted with other others. And I think the fact that it was made illegal to go to church was a, a huge red flag for me. And the fact but, but, that we But it wasn't just a church, was it? Was 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 not just No, no, it wasn't just a church. But again, you know, if it's not just a church, but it's the other things, I think I, I don't think these things needed to be made illegal. I think, you know, in the run up to before the lockdown kind of came into place, people were naturally going along, you know, with these 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 things in the main. They were being sensible in the main. But you know, I think the fact that I think we mentioned before we followed the example of a Chinese communist one-party state made me feel very uneasy. I think quarantine the healthy is unprecedented and I've never agreed with it and it, it makes no sense to me, you know, and it's not mm. even biblical. I think, you know, if you look in, I think it's Leviticus when the, the, the lepers went to the, the priest, they were told to go and isolate for seven days. The priest didn't isolate. Um, yeah, but we don't when, take, we don't take uh, you know, we our pandemic preparedness doesn't come from Leviticus, does it? No, I know, but there are, um, you know, uh, common sense principles that we can take from the Bible in that sense, and I think they're those principles that have been followed uh, medically down down the years. And but this, you know, this is when I started looking to it, and I realised that something was just amiss, and, and that's that's when I found out about this high consequence infectious disease list and people like uh, Michael Levitt and John Ionis saying that the infection fatality... Just, just, yeah, just before you go into into that, just just to say something about that, um, what you said about the biblical principles. Well, if, if, if the Bible, you know, if the stories of the Bible um, were set in China, then maybe we, we would have had precedence for, for lockdowns then. 
Um, I don't follow. <laughs> because the principles, because the principles are to quarantine the sick in 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 Israel. But it, but if but if the stories of the Bibles were set in China, then maybe we would have had, you know, then then you know stories where they were qu quarantining everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that the. I'm not sure that the principles of the Bible are determined. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say to you is that people out there listening, you know, hearing you say, "Well, in the Bible, this is what they did, and it sets a good principle," you know. Well, the, you know, it's, it it is contextual, isn't it? It, it, ha it happened then; they they took that decision then, uh, but other people might have taken a different decision. Um, and, and therefore, it is, is, is not a valid principle to take. And not just the fact that some people have made that decision uh, and, and, and that decision have been made historically doesn't mean that decision has to be always be made, you know? Um, it seems completely reasonable to lock down, uh, to, to, you know, to, to isolate people into their homes, to you know, a slow down spread in the community. It just, it, it, it's, it's, it's logical. I mean, that's why people accept the premise of lockdown. And it's, except, it's, yeah, except, I see what you're saying. And, it, you know, it, in some ways I could concede to your point, except that um, this uh, disease is a disease that's been shown to spread indoors. And what have we done? We've made people stay indoors and um and it's still spread infections have still gone up um and so you know it's a little bit like um you know the story of king canute you know when you uh, uh i mean i'm just thinking of this off the top of my head now but you know you sort of sat on a, on a chair you know effectively uh, showing you know uh, you know the waves not to come in or whatever it is and it's that sort of thing you know I think some of these measures to mitigate um, or, you know, to, to suppress the virus that's pretty endemic anyway um, are a little bit like that, sitting and stopping the tide, you know uh, yeah. thinking that you've got the power to stop the tide from coming in um, uh, But it's human nature to you know, to to want to do something and to want to feel in control, it's kind of inevitable to to want to take the measures, certain measures, even though you know you you know it might not make any difference. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's I think that is in human nature, and I think that's why, um, you know, whilst I, I, I disagree with the the mass mandates and have been so surprised by the uptake um, of it, uh, given the but, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't surprise. But it shouldn't surprise. It shouldn't no. surprise because because when you let people, when when people say, well, well, the government is doing something about it, and, and so so it calms people down. And they say, well, we're doing something about it. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That's why I think a lot of a lot of people are, you know, kind of going along with that because they feel that by doing that they're they're doing something and it's like an outward sign that they're doing something to try and help um, I don't think it is helping I think it's like a placebo really but anyway it's another debate in it yeah um, yeah
So, so let, let me ask you another question then, Kev. So are you concerned that because only, uh, you know, only a small handful of people basically share uh, our views, you know, aren't you worried that, you know, you might be seriously wrong here? Um, we are seriously wrong here. Um, yes and no. Uh, I think, you know, we need to be careful. Uh, there, there are a lot of people, tens of thousands, who share the lockdown sceptic view. Um, you know, a lot of people have signed the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, but, but, in, uh, but in comparison to the people that don't share our views, yeah, that yeah. tiny so, yeah, proportion of the population. Yeah. So, yes and no. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised and I'm shocked that people can't seem to see what's really going on. You know, namely, that the, you know, in my opinion, the, the government's made a big mistake. That It's gone against well-established medical practice it's disastrously experimented with lockdowns and now it's just acting in its own self-interest to continue the policy and and no i'm not surprised because very often those in the minority are you know right and those on the lockdown skeptic side can't be written off as as loonies or or irresponsible um i think in other words being in the minority doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong you know the prophets in the bible were in the often in the minority Martin Luther and the reformers, I believe, were in the minority. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of being told off when I was young, you know, with the excuse, you know, you kind of offer the excuse everyone else was doing it. And just because everyone else is doing something, it doesn't make it right. Uh, in fact, you know, it can just kind of demonstrate the power of uh, kind of uh, groupthink, I, I suppose. You know, if we look at Jesus, for example, he was fed on his arrival in Jerusalem. Um, but he was betrayed and mocked by the very same people shortly after. That's how fickle the majority view can be, and how wrong it it can be. You know, so I'm not worried about being seriously wrong necessarily, because I think if I was, then the evidence would be irrefutable, and that you know that th there wouldn't even be a, a debate. Um, you know, despite what the media says. What, what, what's, what's happened, I'm not sure if it is quite as unprecedented as we're being led to believe. Um, you know, I think often in these debates, which again, you've got to say, you know, if we're debating whether or not we're in a pandemic, does, doesn't that show that we're not really in one? Uh, in other words, would it, wouldn't it be manifestly obvious um, that we are in one and that every one of us has been affected? You know, I think often in these, these debates we say, you know, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but unfortunately in this in this case, I'm not sure I, I would be happy to be proven wrong, you know, because if I am, then it shows that we are in a pandemic and that, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people are, are so, going to so die, you, like the 500,000 that was predicted that would die. So, so you're saying we're not in a pandemic? I'm... I Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure we are. I think we're in a lockdown crisis um, and... We're in a crisis that we kind of put ourselves into. I think it's self-inflicted. If we go back to those figures, you know, for 100,000, there are going to be 100,000 non-COVID-related deaths, for example, um, which 46,000, which apparently uh, are avoidable. Um, I think that's that's a crisis and that's a pandemic. It's a pandemic of fear that we're seeing. And, um, you know, um, and I think... You know, 
until March 2020, I, like many others, was blissfully unaware of the number of deaths of, uh, of people who died in this country, something like 1,700 people a day, and every every death is, is tragic, but, you know, uh, we all die. And the problem is that these figures haven't been shown in, in context. Are the figures over and above the normal daily death rates, for example? Are the figures actually accurate? Because they have been revised down. Do the figures actually relate to people who have actually died of or with COVID? How many people are recovering from COVID? You know, uh, something like 99.9% uh, recovery rate, recovery yeah. rate under the age of 65, apparently. So, uh, but this is something that isn't really sort of uh, shouted from the rooftops. That um, you know, I know. Um, if, you know, a few people who have had COVID or have had a PCR test and said they're COVID and they've been poorly and they've recovered. Um, you know, that's something to be... Uh, Do you know what the recovery rate is? To rejoice in. Well, it's something like... Uh, yeah, 99.99%. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. It varies with age, doesn't it? Yeah, it does vary with age. So it, I it think like under, under the age of 65, for example. Um, and, and depending on, on your... On yeah, the and, we, and, we, and we have to admit that unlike the flu, this this um, this disease does appear to be... It, it, it does appear to discriminate against the, uh, the elderly more than... Yeah. More I, than the whole population, for example, I, you know... Yeah, uh, Span Spanish flu has been mentioned, but that affected young and old. Main, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. So, mm. I agree with most of what you said there. I mean, I, I, I'm not too sure about whether that we are not in a pandemic. I'm not sure about that, but you know, I, I would have to look into that a bit more. But I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, and also, you know, I agree that being in the minority doesn't make you wrong. Um, but skeptics have been wrong. Uh, no, listen to this. This is from uh, our friend Owen Jones, who made a, a very interesting video uh, for his podcast. And he was um, sort of analyzing what various skeptics have got wrong. And so for, he mentioned a few. So, for example, Professor Carol Sikora, an oncologist, in December, he penned a column for the Daily Mail lobbying for restrictions to be eased for Christmas, and he ridiculed talk of more in, more infectious strains. Um, and then in December, you know, the daily cases peaked at sixty thousand and deaths at over a thousand. Uh, Sunaptra Gupta, the epidemiologist at Oxford University. So in March, in a study, she suggested that two-thirds of the populations were already infected with COVID, uh, meaning that we were on course for her herd immunity. Two months later, she suggested that COVID is on the way out and that the infection fatality rate would be definitely less than one in 1,000 and probably closer to one in 10,000. And obviously a very absurd uh very absurd because um, since, since after those predictions, you know, 35,000 more people died. And yet, you know, they, they all died uh, of, of COVID. And uh, Professor Carl Hennigan, um, a favorite of log lockdown skeptics, in the summer of 2020, he argued in The Spectator that false positives were actually driving the pandemic. 
and that you know uh and that cases were actually rising um uh, uh the, sorry they were actually going down the, sorry they were they were going up because of taste testing uh, um and false positives and that, that was that was what was driving the pandemic essentially but then hospitalizations went up in the winter and you know death went up so you know, I think we need to be careful. wrong. I think we need wrong. to be careful here to say that um, you know, uh, just because you're a lockdown sceptic doesn't mean that you get things right all the time. Just like the government hasn't got things right um, all the time, and I think that the the government has been uh, wrong um, more times uh, than lockdown sceptics have. You know, I think you know, it was back in September there. Uh, the two medical officers came out and said, you know, there's going to be 4,000 deaths a day. Something that at the time was patently untrue and hasn't happened. Um, even with the mutant strain, it hasn't happened. And um, and so I think, uh, you know, if we take, um, you know, what Carol Sikora is uh, saying, you know, average daily cases peaked at 60,000, but we need to, you know, we need to be careful of, what, what what is a case a lot of these cases are false positives and a lot of these cases m most people aren't aren't even poorly they don't even know they've got the disease so this, this um, is the only reliable mesh, measure we have we don't have another measure to track infections this, this is what we have the pcr test tells us that we have a strain of dna of the virus mm. in, in our system. It doesn't tell us that we're infectious or not, but we, but we don't have problem, another measure. The problem with the PS, PCR test is that even the, the guy who invented it said, you know, it's not really for detecting viruses. So, and there is another for measure. The lateral, lateral for for detecting infections. Yeah, or for, or for virus, so that, I think it's infections that, maybe, yeah. But for so, detecting that you're infectious, that you might infect mm. other people. Which is right. what drives, which is what drives the pandemic, isn't it? Yeah, that that which is the problem. These figures are driving the pandemic, and they're not necessarily correct. And lateral flow tests. Yeah, because I just want to clarify for people who might be a bit a bit confused with with this. But you know, so the, what the PCR test does is it detects that you have a DNA of the of the virus in your body, and and even you you might be asymptomatic. You might you might have had COVID, a very mild version of it. You recovered from it, you know, thirty day after thirty days after, um, I don't know. You you were tested for whatever reason. Uh, you, you you know you tested positive, but that doesn't mean you're you're infectious. Mm. Um, but you I know, think the, the lateral the lateral flow tests. I mean, gosh, obviously, I'm no expert, but they seem to be more accurate. I think when uh, back don't they the have a higher rate of negative negatives? And and, I'm, and yeah, they... I'm not sure, but I think that back in Liverpool, uh, whenever it was October, November, when they started lateral flow testing, the infections were you know much lower than were were actually being reported. Um, and so, you know, I think if we, you know. You know, quoting this. This is where we we're not experts at all. No, but I think you know, 
quoting uh, sort of Sinatra Gupta from from March. Uh, I don't think it necessarily means, you know, that 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 she's wrong. If you know, because, um, you know, just because after afterwards she said that thirty thousand more people died. Um, uh, I think um, I was going to say, you know, what what Carl Hennigan said was said in the, in the summer. And this is one interesting thing as well that flu and pneumonia seems to have kind of uh, gone away. Uh, either it's been replaced by uh, COVID or um, COVID's been, you know, flu's been reported as COVID. I don't, I don't know. It's, well, look, it's the, well, it, it makes sense though, isn't it? That when you <clears throat> go into lockdown and there's, there's, there's social isolation, there are less cases of pneumonia and and other respiratory diseases. Well, why, that that doesn't make sense because why 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 do cases of COVID increase? Um, that you know that doesn't make sense. Um, you know I think the thing with you know if we're saying that hospitalizations went up, I think you know people are tested on entry into hospital, and if they're positive, then they're put down as a COVID hospitalization. So I understand, or they catch it in hospital. Deaths always go up in the winter. Um, so, you know, was Kainigan necessarily wrong? Um, you know, asking for lockdown to be eased and this sort of mutant strain, is is this mutant strain seen in other countries as it has been here, you know? Um, you know, we need to put the, the, things in, in, in context. Yeah, there but... Always more hospitalizations in the winter. And just previously, I asked you a question about the, the sort of moral, morality of being a lockdown skeptic. And, and there's certainly questions about the danger of holding this position when you assert that this virus isn't dangerous. And yet, you know, you've proven wrong, <laughs> very wrong. Um, you know, lots of people died and here we are kind of undermining a little bit the danger of it and and people might listen to us and think well if it's not that dangerous why should i wear a mask why should i do this why should i do that but it isn't our intention you know to make people think like this just to to get them to question a little bit isn't it i think we need to be careful uh fran you know we're not i've not asserted that it isn't dangerous uh I don't think it's as dangerous as we've been. But it, but it, impl but it implies it, uh, this is how people take it. People, when when you start to assert that we are not in a pandemic, you know, um, this is akin to uh, you know flu and whatever. People at well, you know people think, oh well, what you're saying is this is not dangerous. What you're saying is that it's not serious. Is any but but. You're implying these, aren't you? Not necessarily. I, I'm in, implying that it's not as dangerous as we're being told. So um, you don't have to adjust your way of life in the in the disproportionate way that you've had to. And it's yeah. interesting. There's a headline on the Daily Telegraph today uh, that says, "We hope to live with COVID-like flu by the end of the year," says Matt Hancock. How does he know that? <laughs> You know now um and uh, so is that dangerous you know if you're saying that by the end of the year we can do that you know because of vaccination drugs or whatever it's been uh, in that you can turn the virus into a treatable condition but the fact of the matter is that 
you know, for 99.9% of the population under the age of 65, they recover from it. And so, you know, if uh, even without a vaccine, uh, and with a vaccine that's sort of 94% effective, and if you're under 65 and it's 99.9% you chance of recovery, anyway, um, you know, we... We don't know that exactly, but it's a high percentage of recovery. It's over 90%. Yeah. You know, and I think the NHS is... is um, always overwhelmed you know, it's about perspective our headlines from a couple of years ago with people waiting in corridors you know flu and a lack of beds but there are also reports of private hospital capacity being unutilized during this uh let's call it pandemic for, for, uh, but you know um um you know do we hear of discharges and recovery when we're talking about hospitalizations you know, you can't just keep on hospitalizing people there's only a limited number of beds people are being discharged as well as hospitalized um what about you know yeah. pre-existing conditions are people in for covid or or for that yeah it's interesting isn't it when they give when they they were giving figures for hospitalizations they were saying you know there's this thirty-seven thousand people in in beds etc they, they they weren't giving you the context of how many more bets do we have or how many of these thirty seven thousands are there for COVID? Is it a third, yeah. two thirds? You know, it was just like a number uh, without context, and yeah. and and you're there thinking, are they, are they trying to scare me, or or are they just being flimsy with the with the numbers? And 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 it does give you, you know cause for concern you know mm. and it does make you yeah. doubt their intentions i um, think yeah. you know coming back to the sort of bible study you know we did you know mentioned precept ministries at the start of the thing with the five w's and an h one of the other things it says you know for bible study and this is an age-old thing is that context is key um you can't just cherry pick a verse or, or pick it out of context and uh, because if you do that you can make it say or mean uh, whatever you want and I think the same applies here context is key yeah um, yeah so I'm, I'm interested you know with interesting time so just just wanna just wanna give you um, my take uh, if you if you if you let me um, so you know because we talk about how uh, you know, skeptic skepticism can be dangerous. Why not? Why? Why might be? Why might not be dangerous? So I, you know, I think lockdown, you know, was was a policy on the hoof and on the back of fear and mostly uh, political fear, in my opinion. Because I think that, um, as you quite rightly pointed out, the government wasn't planning to implement lockdown from the start. You know, uh, to implement it. They threw away a decade of preparation for these emergencies, which were set out in the 2011 uh, Department for Health Strategy. Uh, that, you know, these were designed to shield the sick and the most vulnerable, and then minimize dis disruption for for the healthy and economically active. Uh, and they just threw it away. Um, why did they do it? Politics. Simple politics. If if they went ahead and did this in contrast to most other countries, and as a result, we ended with 80,000 excess deaths, by now they would be politically dead. 
we would have no conservative party by, by now, no chance of re-election. You know, at the start of the pandemic, the media and popular opinion was asking for lockdown. You know, they, they were saying, why haven't we locked down like such and such and such country? Why, you know, why aren't we shutting down schools, etc.? And And the government cave on the pressure of popular opinion. Uh, and they realize if we don't lock down now uh, and lots of people die, regardless, however many they are, we're dead. And, 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 and they took that decision out of fear and it's political fear. That's, that's my take. And I think personally, the only thing that helps me cope with this is to know that this was an inevitable decision inevitable um and i think it's also fair to say that what you know what you questioned about death you know the way it is counted undermines the credibility you know of those of those that claim that the virus is extremely dangerous and that it warrants the most uh, draconian restrictions you know dying with covid isn't dying off covid um, and and i say that i said it's very with a heavy heart, you know, because when we can talk like this, but people do, people do die of it, mm. and and you know, it, it, it saddens me. It's yeah. it's not something I'm happy about, um, and, and and I don't take it lightly, and and I feel, I feel for people. I feel for people who have suffered from this, but this it, it is is an inconvenient fact for those who are driving, um, you know, government policy. And essentially, you know, you got, you could have been killed of anything, but because you tested positive, you counted as a COVID death. Um, but I, I still think we need to take precautions, uh, Kev. I still think that, uh, you know, for example, there's a study um, released by The Lancet, which is a, a very prestigious medical journal um, that shows that when comparing the mortality rate of people that suffer from influenza versus people who suffer from COVID, in hospital mortality was higher in patients with COVID-19 than in pa patients with influenza. Um, 69, uh, sorry, 16% versus 6%. Uh, and there is something about this this book that makes makes it more lethal among vulnerable groups. It, it seems to be a particularly nasty uh, virus among vulnerable groups, um, and I think that these people need our care. And there is one argument that that, that I, I think there is one argument that people make that I I. I don't know. Maybe you have an explanation for this, and, I, and I'm going a little bit off script here. It is the argument that you know people, skeptics, like people who signed the Gray Barrington Declaration, argue for a focused protection, and they say, well, we have to quarantine the sick, protect the sick, protect the people in care homes and hospitals, blah blah blah. Um, and the argument against it isn't that's that's not possible. You know, Matt Hancock said in Parliament that that that's that's impossible. That's not viable. We, you know, 
people are going to go out, they're going to meet their relatives, they're going to meet their friends, and infections are going to get into care homes, it's going to get into hospitals, and, you know, it, 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 is, it is going to spread. And, 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 I, and I don't know, and I don't, I don't have an answer to that, because I, I think that's true. I think that's probably true, probably true. Um, but I still think that we can question, we can question government policy and say, why aren't we trying other things? Hmm. Why just? I think, I think you know, going back to what you said about the the Great Barrington Declaration and about you know precautions, we do need to take necessary precautions. But I think that the problem is, is that these were precautions that we've normally taken um, over the years, anyway, to protect the vulnerable. Um, which presumably it's what the government's trying to do by you know uh, you know with respect to its locking down of care homes so I think it, it can do that it can do what the um, Great Barrington Declaration uh, states and I think people can go about their normal everyday lives um, you know with that in mind uh, protect the vulnerable um, issue guidance uh, to people, don't make it law, um, and don't infantilise the, the 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 nation and make it a criminal offence to open up the shop or or, or or not wear a mask or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's the problem. But just coming back to the kind of political side of things, that, you know, um, yeah, it is a political decision, and it's one that out of um, you know, that I believe it's been made out of. Um, self-interest as well uh, you know and I think the problem is uh, that you know people like me and there are a lot of people like me I believe aren't going to vote um, in the, aren't going to vote Tory in the next um, general election and uh, in I'm not you know may not even vote Labour I, would, I wouldn't vote Labour because I think they've been you know kind of complicit as well in this whole situation well they've not offered opposition to this policy they they, no, they wanted a harder a deeper and uh, more stringent measures uh, yeah, and for the and for the you know supposed sort of party of the people it's the it's the um you know the sort of working class people for want of a better term who are you know being adversely affected by this in terms of losing their jobs and stuff um and I think the problem is... Let's be fair, though. Let's, let's be fair. Their argument is, if we didn't, if we didn't lock down, the economical consequences would be worse and the the death would be worse and everything would be worse without lockdown. That is their argument. But we don't even have... Well, I mean, we, we do actually have an impact assessment and, and, and the impact assessment does say that we don't have an impact assessment than previous to lockdown. It's post lockdown. I think it was. I, I don't know who made this. Maybe we should put it in the show notes. Um, it it does indicate more deaths, more economic hardship. Uh, whether you want to trust that or not. Uh, that, that's I just a, yeah. I mean, I can't. I can't see that as being true or or panning out really, especially you know when you compare to those countries that haven't locked down. And you know we go back to China. China's not locked down and its GDP's increased. So, 
Uh, but the, the the problem with the you know if you've got people like me who aren't going to vote Tory who aren't going to vote Labour uh, sorry it's, we're going off on a political tangent here which is probably not advisable but I'll just say this is that it is actually there's a danger of it creating a vacuum and in that vacuum um, could come uh, a more a, a party with more kind of sinister undertones if you like um, be it far right or far left for example um, that people will you know maybe uh, support in opposition to the to, to the parties that they believe that have let them down you know if, if I'm if I'm right in saying that's just me thinking out loud yeah well you know this is depressing, Keith. This is really depressing. Um, you know, what if we are wrong? What if in the summer we, you know, we're out of this? Um, you know, we can embrace each other on the streets. We'll have parties, parades, carnivals, all sorts of celebrations. We will be shamed publicly on the streets. Uh, and we might even have, you know, Matt Hancock invited to church to preach on the virtues of uh, perseverance and, uh, and and we might even hang his portrait on our walls and and we and, and will be ostracized from public society and lose our jobs we might be wrong kev what do you think do you think you'll be wrong um i think all those things can you know you know in the summer i think all those things could have been happening last summer to be honest, um, parties and parades and, and I like, I like the idea of a party and a parade. And they, you know, to be fair, they were happening. Um, you know, people were gathering together, and uh, um, you know, infections didn't really increase that much, or certainly deaths didn't increase that much over the summer. You know, you know, kind of Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock's basically, you know, making it illegal to go on holiday, but he's booked a holiday in Cornwall, apparently. Yes. So. You know what's all yeah. about? Yeah. Um, well, I, I definitely not booking a holiday. <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, that's another thing. You know, it's illegal to book a holiday. Just let <laughs> that sink in. It's not illegal, is it? Apparently, it's illegal to book a holiday. I think. No, it's not. It's not illegal. Isn't it? All oh, right. Well, well, it might be. I don't think so. I, mean, it's not, I think it's not advisable. I think. I think it was a Thursday. Three different ministers came out saying three different things uh was the transport secretary said uh you know don't 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 book a holiday then boris said it's too early to tell and matt hancock said i already booked a, <laughs> a holiday to cornwall i don't think i don't think they know what we so should if they don't you know if they if they you know the government you know the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing um you know we go back to the sort of mask mandate i think on the sunday michael gove said you know no we're not going to be introducing mandatory face masks in shops Tuesday, yeah. it was it was it was brought in. <laughs> These are you know they're cabinet ministers. I think it goes to cabinet minister only. But right, right, Kev. Um, anyway, so you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, so anyway, we need to move on to a second part, which is um, how COVID affect church life. Um, but before. Let's just go some some quick questions as a way of summarizing our thoughts. So, should we have locked down the first time? 
I don't I don't believe so. No, I mean perhaps in the short term it could have been justified, um, you know, to get the NHS ready. But uh, uh, I think if the the government had uh, kept abreast of the situation in January and February, they could have been making yeah. plans for that. You know, they they yeah. quite they very quickly brought in these Nightingale hospitals. So why they couldn't have done that? I I I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. The three weeks to to support the NHS would have been great. Now, the second time and third time, should have we looked down? No. 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 I don't believe so. Uh, no. No. And overall, do you think lockdown policy is justified? But no, I, no, I don't. Um, not given the great um, the cost. Yeah, I can't justify it either. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Please help me. Um, being a skeptic is wrong and dangerous. I, d I don't believe so. No, I, d I don't believe that um, questioning government policy is wrong. Um, uh, I think uh, it's something that should be encouraged. Yeah, I think I think questioning government policy is is healthy for democracy. Okay, Kev, I think we run out of time. Um, we, you know, we've been talking for a good an hour and a half, I think, um, or something like that. And um, we, we've, we're still to discuss a second part, which is uh, COVID and how it affects church life. Um, I think we depress people quite quite a lot. I hope we, we haven't. I hope we're not going to be, um, you know, guilty of uh, future antidepressant prescriptions. Um, but, um, you know, we, we're going to have to stop it here what do you think Kev? yeah i think that's probably a good place to to stop and to resume things um for next time yeah hopefully hopefully people are not gonna um you know hopefully people are gonna come back and uh, and, and listen to the second part and and hopefully they're gonna get in touch with us and 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 you know uh give us their comments and, and thoughts and questions and it'd be interesting to interact with them yeah, absolutely. All right, Kev. Well, um, best of luck and have a good day. You too, Fran. So see you, everyone. Adios. Thank you for listening to Honest Conversations, COVID-19 and the Christian Response Part 1. In Part 2 of this conversation, we will be discussing the implications of lockdown on church life. What have we learned from the pandemic? What will the future of church look like? Where do we look for hope in these uncertain times? Join us next week to discuss this important topic. See you soon and don't forget to subscribe.